Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, I'm catching up with Cub member Andrew Black, Mr. Black. Andrew is an expert in banking and leadership and financial services. He's had one of the most incredible careers in the industry that really saw him going from a small town country boy um, out in the sticks all the way to being the head of St. George Private Bank and the CEO of many other large corporations and private enterprises. He's an incredible guy with tons of knowledge. He taught me a lot in this conversation. We, we went over you know, how to choose the perfect board, how to grow through acquisition, and all sorts of other really cool stuff. Enjoy the show. We're live. Welcome to the show, Mr. Black. That's Andrew Black. How are you, sir? Very well, Daniel. Very good to have you here today. Are you excited? Absolutely. Always excited. I'm very excited (laughs) to have you here because um, having someone with your type of just level of accomplishment and experience in life and business uh, always makes for a fantastic show. So thank you very much for giving myself, our members and all the incredible listeners we have uh, your time today. It is greatly appreciated. My pleasure. Um, Andrew... Um, I wanted to start just by reviewing, giving a high-level review of your career because it is such an incredible one. And then I want to talk about kind of how you got there. So do you want to just give us a quick overview of what you're working on now and perhaps some of the bigger roles you've had in the past or bigger things you've done in the past? Absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, certainly it's a long career anyway. I don't know how good it is. But so, <laughs> so, um, so but I've been in uh, financial services for, you know, a little bit over 35 years um, and, you know, started off in the uh, UK um, in financial services, you know, got transferred back here. But, you know, really probably it's in the last, you know, 15, 20 years that I've really been in you know, those executive um, type roles. So, um, you know, I, has, I spent probably the first um, seven, eight years of, the, um, of this century in uh, St George Bank. Uh, it was fantastic. It was, you know, just over the period where they have moved from being a building society into a fully-fledged bank. They were, I think, about the 15th largest listed company I'm in Australia at the time before they were taken over by Westpac. And you were the head um, of the private bank. And I used to run the private bank and the margin lending and the um, the direct shares, so the um, um, equities uh, broking business um, within there. And um, so is that several businesses? So if you're the head of the private bank for St George, is that one business and then correct. the other two, which are, yeah. I don't want to butcher what you just said, but the other two <laughs> are two different businesses Absolutely the bank right. as well. So, so margin lending was actually you know people borrowing money to buy shares or mm-hmm. manage funds. Um, online brokings, if you know of Comsec, so direct shares yep. was exactly a, a direct competitor with Comsec. Oh. Um, and then and then the private bank, like all banks would, you know, when you look after your high net wealth individuals, so it's really a service orientated business. So very, very different businesses apart from the fact that they're all people that are looking at wanting to build wealth through different mechanisms, whether it's through a service um, offering through the private bank or whether it's through borrowing money to have further exposure into, into equities and managed funds um, or the, the actual ability to execute on so the that's trades. A, that's a serious position. What, what, other, yeah. what, what about uh, some of the others? And then, and then um, after that I was the um, CEO of a, a company called Scandia, which is an administration platform. So, again, you will have heard of things like AXA North owned by um, AMP um, or BT or MLC, you know, they say all the, the big organisations um, have that. Um, that was a privately owned one. And like today, um, Hub24, Net Wealth, um, again, Premium, there are, you know, smaller ones of those around. 
Um, and, and so what does Scandia do? And uh, Scandia was a, as a platform like those. So okay. I was just, just explaining that um, – so it's, it's an administration platform. So, so really, it's really aimed at um, financial planners being able to put their clients' um, investments all into one place from a rep- for reporting purposes. Um, and because the big thing, you know, when people have got, you know, multiple managed funds in a self-managed super fund or just in their normal um, super um, or just normal investments, at the end of the year, you've got to be like get all that information for doing tax returns and how much has it grown, what's the return been, um, all of that type of thing. And there was Plan B. And then and then after that, I Plan B. So Plan B was a listed company. Um, it was a fairly broad uh, wealth management business. So we'd had a funds management uh, business in there with about, um, well, I think we had 68 uh, funds within there. Um, and then we had a financial planning arm um, and estate planning. Um, and in fact, I mean, we used to do some extremely interesting things in there in terms of trustee services, um, uh, particularly around um, a national um, native title. Um, uh, so BHP would uh, were putting aside money um, with to do with the government in terms of uh, Aboriginal for, um, titles to, to, for, for Aboriginal title money, and it was like, and you're talking here, you know, large amounts of money, billions and, and billions of yeah. dollars. So, and it, it was so large it was driving off about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of income per person in that that we were trustees for. So for every Aboriginal person that was in that native title, we're getting about a quarter of So so the the protection of those people that quite often have never been educated. Um, you know, like you, you see, because they've got so much money and don't know what to do with it, you'll get things like um, a lot of scamming from Nigeria and whatever. You know, there'll be there'll be towers will be brought in by Optus oh or Telstra God. or whatever. So so they've got all the, the gadgets and tools but then but then need to be managed in terms of making sure that they don't waste the money and it all gets scammed away from them. Yeah. And so as the head, as the CEO of Plan B, you're obviously responsible for, for running the business, but you're also responsible for managing billions of dollars in in funds absolutely in, in funds and and then also in trustees so we weren't we were only doing the providing the trustee service we weren't necessarily doing the managing of the funds we were managing some of the funds but mm-hmm. there, it was such a large amount of money you'd have to share that around and diversify um to to, to, to multiple uh, fund managers to make sure that they were getting the right return and the uh, for you know for for, for, the, for what the purpose of it was for well so so really you, you would you say your area of expertise is financial services Big corporation fund management. Um, or, yeah. I'm just guessing. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know that type of business. So I'm just trying to repeat words you're saying. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's absolutely. I mean, yeah. So, so you'd say that my experience in the, in the last um, you know 20 years has been very much in the wealth space. Um, the 15 years before that, I spent in just normal banking. So credit cards, you know, auto lending, personal loans, mortgages, that type of thing. Um, so I've so. Most people you'll meet will have will have either done the banking side or they've done the wealth side. Not a lot of people have done both sides of it, um, and that and that that bit of it is is what makes me probably a little bit unique and 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 certainly gives me far more insights into what people need to do because you know the, one one of the great things about people trying to build wealth is that you now the first thing you want to do is actually get a loan, get yourself a house, get a thing paid off, then you then start building wealth. Um, most people you know trying to mesh those two things together. Um, it's very difficult, you know. You, you you target the first bit, which is getting your house paid off, and then have got no idea about how the hell to build wealth. Mm. And it's the same with, you know, like when I was uh, running the private bank. Quite often, people with, that had very large loans were in the private bank, and people that had large amounts of wealth to be invested with in the private bank. But people go through a, a a gap in the in the middle, whereby that they've 
just about got their loans paid off and as yet don't have any capital to be investing and therefore they fall out of the private bank and become a normal Joe Blow again and yet they, in terms of capability and capacity, they're the ideal person because they will continue to grow. Yeah, because they, well, they, they've got they, they've borrowings, got, they've got, yeah. they're asset rich in the well, sense. Well, well, they've now got the equity in their home. Mm. So once, once they get the house paid off, so they usually so got higher income. So if they were to take out that equity, they could be, go back into the private bank because they've got money to spend. Exactly right. <laughs> but that, but that's, what, that's just an, an example of one of the issues that happens within a, a corporate whereby that they, they look upon it as in terms of the balance that they've got with you as opposed to their uh, capability and, 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 and what, what they could be like. To so their actual yeah. equity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and would you say that – did banking start in Italy? Do you know that? Um, I, ha- I have no idea. But I think I read something like that. But I, <laughs> I what would you say the purpose of a bank is for, for society, for a community? Oh, um, it's, it's the flow of money, isn't it? I mean, if you, the, the reality is that what, what would happen if people didn't have somewhere to put their money that they could then be redirected out to the people that actually need it? Now, what what would happen? People would put it under their mattress. It would it, it wouldn't flow through the community. Yeah. Be, the, the economy it, would be smaller. Economy would just a lot smaller. It would just wouldn't be moving. So it's absolutely a facilitator of getting funds, um, you know, from the people that actually have it to the people that need it. And 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 banks really. They, they, so you'll put your money in the bank. So let's say mm-hmm. let's say me, Daniel like puts my money in the bank. Bank takes my money and distributes. Distributes it somewhere else to, to, to someone that needs a mortgage. to make a profit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And likewise, when you want to buy a house, what do you do? You go to the bank to borrow the money, and there's other people that have put their money in there that you're actually taking from that to do it. And that's what happens when when um, when um, banks fall over or whatnot. What happens is that they um, too many people come to, or they've they've loaned too much money out. Too many people come to collect their money, but they haven't got it. And that's how a bank well, falls over, essentially. Well, well, that's well, the that, dumbest <laughs> way to say it possible. That, well, that, that certainly will create a liquidity problem in, yes. in in terms of that. So there's a difference between the capital that's behind the bank versus the liquidity that you need for the day to day being able to fund the thing. Um, so so what you just described is where where people have, you know suddenly want to take their money out, but someone can't pay back their loan at the same at the same pace as what people want to take their money out. Mm-hmm. And you'll end up with a liquidity issue under under, under those types of situations. Okay. Um, and again, the reason why you diversify both your funding and 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 where you get your money from. So if you take, um, you know, most banks will have money that they borrow off other banks. They'll have wholesale funding as well as the retail deposit base. Um, so if they do get a run on retail deposit, they can then get more money from the market. Go to other department. Another, another area, yeah. exactly right. Yes. Incredible. Yep. And why don't, you, why don't you walk us through your life and how you actually got to the position you are because – I know that it is a very inspiring story because you, you are from the country. Is I am. That correct? I am. I'm, yeah. I'm a, from off a uh, off a farm up in uh, Scone, where my parents are from. Where's Scone? Um, is that in New the, South Wales? Uh, yes, it is in the Upper Hunter Valley. Um, okay. So um, we're on a couple of thousand acres out on the uh, the western side of uh, Scone, about twenty miles out of town. It's a so big was, farm. So I don't know, don't know about that, but it was it was certainly you know um, we were you know well out of town and fairly remote, and we're, we're in you know, it's a relatively hilly area. So when I grew up. We didn't have television or anything. We couldn't get a reception. In fact, even now, uh, my father still is still there, but um, he now has a, a satellite beamed into the Northern Territory as the only way of being able to get any television. <laughs> he's, he's still coming and had no mobile reception, which is very good when you want to get away for a weekend. Yes. Uh, so, so I've taken lots of families up there with their kids as their kids were growing up to go camping and say, no one can get hold of you here. So <laughs> that's exactly what we do. Yeah. Um, but, it all, but it also um, you know, was an opportunity to actually do things as well. Um, so even though we didn't have television and all the things that people would think would be terribly boring, I had you know, loads of animals. So I would have chickens and sell eggs and dress them and ducks and turkeys and 
geese and you know, so I had a menagerie of animals. You weren't bored? Uh, absolutely not. And yeah. I, well, no, I mean, I'd, I'd often have a time where I'd have to, you know, dress, you know, 20 chickens or whatever because someone had made an order or whatever. What's yeah. dressing chickens? Well, well, like well, killing them and plucking them. <laughs> killing them and plucking so them. undressing <laughs> them, really. <laughs> but preparing them to be eaten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but – it was still, you know, in a, I used to do you know, a lot of rabbiting and things like that. So, you know, you'd, you'd go and you'd get skins to be able to sell, sell them. You know, so, so and that's how you'd make your money. And that's how you'd make your money. And then in, in the end, I th- when I got to year 11 and 12, because Dad wanted me to go to the farm, and um, and I've always thought, geez, Christ, this is a hard way to make a dollar. Mm. Um, so um, I, di- I started a piggery in, um, in, uh, when I was in year 11. I, I, I cashed in all my chickens and ducks and turkeys and all the rest of it. I had $1,000 at the time and I went and bought four pigs, three, three sows and a boar. And within, within, um, within two years they bred up to I had about 45 sows and, wow. and we, we had about 300 growers going through. So it actually I, I'm the only person I know of at the time because I was out in the bush and whatever um, that actually sold that. We, we, Dad kept the piggery on, on, the, on the farm or whatever but um, it actually got me enough cash to actually go and buy Brand, a brand new car cash at the time. So. Is that right? <laughs> so, and you were so, young. You were. You know, I was up sixteen, seventeen. You know, oh, so, really so, young. So, so, so as soon as I got a license, because I mean, even, even getting a license in those days, I mean, I mean, I used to drive down to the bus stop. So we, we our house was about a, a kilometre, one and a half kilometres down to the main road. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as I could see of the steering wheel, we, you know, Dad got us an old Vanguard, and we would, you know, jump in that by myself and my sister, and we would, you know, drive at a hundred mile an hour down to the bus stop and yeah. uh, d- or down to the road and. Uh, pick up the bus to go into town to the school um, and likewise when we get home you get off the bus and you know, drive so so we'd all learned to drive and the, and the prop we had a couple of properties and they were you know about six seven miles apart um, and the police didn't care in those days so you know, the the reality is that we used to drive 12 year olds drive <laughs> <laughs> we, we, would, we would drive between the properties because yeah. we'd be you know moving stock or whatever it was so sure. so, so you get a, you get a lot of experience through doing that but but the good thing was that at the end of it um and I was able to get a license. I, I, I didn't even realise that you had to get L plates. I wanted to get my license. <laughs> went to the police station to get my get my uh, license. And he said, oh, "You got to have your L plates." So how long did it happen for? Twenty four hours. I bought them, went back in the next day, and got. My <laughs> Is that what it was back then? Twenty four hours. Well, yeah, you just had to, uh, just had to have it. At some just, point. Had, just had to, had to have it. And, then, and of course, you know, and, you, and I think I mean I didn't get any of the questions right. You know, I think he asked me <laughs> how far away from traffic lights you have to park. And I looked at him and thought he was mad because I hadn't seen a traffic light in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that Farm people are the best people. I've said that in so many episodes. And, but do you think that? And do you think that the hard work from the farm and and all that type of stuff is what gave you a lot of the toughness and resilience it takes to conquer the corporate world? Or it certainly does give you resilience. There's there's no doubt. There's there's nothing worse than you know you can, whichever way you look at it. But you know you can have a potty calves or whatever, and you know, go out one morning and one will have died. And I can always remember Dad would always say to me, "Never worry about the ones that have died. It's the ones that are alive you got to worry about yep. because because you, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and you know, and it, it could be anything from you know getting you know tuberculosis to black legs, you know, what, 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 whatever it is that, that, that would could potentially be going around. Um, so I think it was you know, very good from that perspective. Um, it also gave you a fairly good insight into the things you probably don't want to do um, you know the the idea of you know mending barbed wire fences and and, and chasing flyblown sheep around uh, d- d- does give you a fairly strong impetus to want to move to something else. <laughs> yeah, that's a lesson that that's a that's actually a lesson that my old man. Um, used to say to me, he used to say, do you like school? I said, no, I hate school because I hated school. Yeah. And he said, well, you should do very well at it. 
And I said, why? Because he, he was telling me to drop out at one point as well. Yep. And I was like, why? And he said, because if you can do good at something that you hate doing and you can do it well, when you do something that you love, you're going to do it really, really well. well. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so, a good lesson. That's a, no, it's a very good lesson. Yeah, and, similar, and also similar to what, what your father was saying is focus on the potential wins. They, that, that cow's dead. You can't, can't do anything about it. The other cows, they're, they're potential yeah, wins. You can do something with those. Yeah, focus on the good. Exactly right. So, not yeah, the bad. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so from there, in order to – I mean, I, I kept helping on the farm a lot, but uh, the, to begin with, I then went on to become a stock and station real estate agent. So, again, it was a matter of getting a job in town and, and getting out. And, if, and again, it's in an area that you know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, I was used to us sending wool off to market down to Newcastle or, you know, doing the shearing or getting cattle and, you know, having to send them into the sale yards and all the rest of it. So, I mean, it really it was just an extension of doing that because you already knew everyone in the community um, and I did that for about four years so you know became been a real estate agent, agent in the Hunter Valley area it was, it was really more auctioneering and you know selling a livestock so whilst oh, you, okay so whilst you have a real estate agent you know you, there's only you know Scone's only you know, 4,000 people so there's only so many houses yeah there. so so you again you know there's about four agents in town um, but um, stock and station agent though is a, is a is a really good learning ground because you're always on the go you know there's you know there's a fat sale every single tuesday so every monday night we would have livestock being brought in because they've got to be taken off feed and water for 24 hours or sorry for 12 hours i should say before they can go to auction so they've got to be in by nine o'clock the night beforehand you then draft them all up and then you start the sale at nine o'clock the next morning Mm -hmm. and go through the sale rings and sell them and they go on the scales and and, it's a process it's, Absolutely, it's str- and then and, and and then running the accounts of it. So doing the accounts and account sales. So just learning all those things um, in that environment was you know, a really really good thing to be doing. And you did know? you did you study? Did you go to uni? No, I didn't. So um, you're you're the you're the head of St George Private Bank, and you didn't even go to uni. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that it's, what? Um, again, that, that, but that was around opportunity. Now, like, in all fairness, my parents didn't think I should even do year twelve. Yeah. So I had to re- like if you're. I think we had 125 kids, about 125 kids in our year at school and we were in the same year really from kindergarten right through to year 12 because you're all in the same community. Um, only about 20 of us actually did the HSC. So that gives wow. you a, a little bit of an idea. And, and so I, I did the HSC in 1978. So you can – gives you a bit of an idea that you know, back in the 70s the, the, the push to be getting off to uni was nowhere near as strong as what, what it, it is, is now. Like now, like all my kids have gone to uni and in fact I'm actually doing a master's right now um, but, but because I've got time on my hands. Yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, no, it, 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 again, you know, so the, the opportunity just simply wasn't there to even, to even dream of it. You know, wh- what would you do? Was to, you know, Sydney's 200 miles away. You didn't yeah. know anyone down there. Yeah, where where right. would you stay? What? Yeah, that's right. It's a kind of daunting <laughs> thing and, to and, think and, about. And, and how um, Dad wanted someone to you know, help muster sheep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. The, Without paying them. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I mean, I mean, and that went on for years. I mean, I... I got, and where did the banking come from then? How did you get into that so, corporate world? How did you so, start uh, yeah, so after I was about four years at uh, in the stock and station agent, um, I decided that the only way to really get out of it was to go overseas. So decided that – because I'd never been, really been to Sydney or anything at all like that. Um, and I bought a, t- a one-way ticket to London and said I was going to find out what I could do from over there. Wow. Um, and with that I got a uh, – in my first week there, I went into I think it was Alfred Marx was the the employment agency, um, and picked up a job in Citibank um, at the time, 
Um, so I was uh, in collections and I would get on the phone every day and have to phone my 45 or 50 people that were that hadn't paid their credit card or pay, hadn't paid their Marks and Spencers card. Um, and again, a, a really, really good training go. Like yeah. for, for to put some, someone on the phone to be speaking to someone that is hard up for money that you know and you're, and you're talking here like you're talking about you know a monthly payment of five pound like yeah. it's it's not a big amount of money and they can't pay it you know that was my first job as well <laughs> that was i was Doing a, a res caller yeah i was yeah. calling people for their res for their loans on yeah. whatever it was normally yeah. office equipment but but um i learned a lot from that because oh. you have to if you want to get someone to give you money they really don't want to give you money they're not even getting anything from them. They, that you need to learn how to get them on your side and make them feel like you're on their side and that you're helping them that's an incredible skill yeah, to have yeah. absolutely so it, it it was again really really loved it and and it was the people you worked with you know suddenly i was in a you know a team of 40 or 50 people and whatever so i got promoted quite quickly um, in Citibank and it ended up being the storehouse group. So there's been lots of changes in the UK. But there used to be a group of um, credit cards to look after British home stores, Mother Care, Habitat, Heal. So everything was owned by um, Sir Terence Conrad. Um, and then Who's there was Sir Terence Conrad? Oh, it's just a, a person in Some the UK that, yeah, that owned all these these wow. chains. Yeah. Um, and then the Lord Hanson, he owned Arding and Hobbs. So we had Arding and Hobbs, Marks and Spencers, and then these eight chains that were all owned by Sir Terence Conrad. Um, and I ended up there running the collections for, for that. I mean, and again, you know, and they were businesses that were all over the place and we had the job of actually bringing them all into one under, under this company called Storecard. So they came in from NatWest, some were already in Citibank. There was a bit of, to do with Diners Club, which was also owned by Citibank. Mm-hmm. Um, Diners Club was kind of the first credit card. It was yeah, the first was, charge card. It, it was like it was. the first Amex, yeah. wasn't it? That's right, over, yeah, over, over in Europe. Yeah, no. Again, a, a really great business and it was, you know, that, that real member-based yeah. uh, type thing. Whereas the credit cards, the retail credit credit cards were not, you know, they, they were about, you know, you walk into Rivers to buy a pair of shoes and you, yeah. you come out with a card. You know? yeah. yeah, exactly <laughs> right. That, that, that type the of Diners thing. Diners Club was more, it was yeah. the first Amex. It was kind Correct. of, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, no, exactly. And can you just tell me a little bit, I'd be really curious, the shock of, you hadn't even barely been to Sydney, you're in this uh, country town, there's no one around you and then you go to London, like yeah, the busy, was, one of the busiest cities on the planet. What was that shock like? What, um, what did that teach you? What did you think? I, did your mind go... Yeah, open um, up yeah, like I, wow the world's big um first of all first of all i was extraordinarily homesick probably the first six months was just like it, it took all my willpower not to jump on a plane and come back again um once again over time you learn though that wherever you are once you're working Almost everywhere is the same. So once you get into a That's job, you end up building up a rapport with your you, with your workmates and, and whatever else, and you act, you're actually so busy that you actually don't get the opportunity to really do very much. And and, and you, you'd be well aware, like you live here in Sydney, it's abs- it's a beautiful place. But how many people get out on the waterways and actually have a yacht and all the rest mm-hmm. of it? Now, there's a few, but. Most people don't. They're actually taking the kids off to sport on Saturday morning. They're doing the shopping on Sunday, trying to have one glass of wine and then wind up again and go go back to it again on Monday. And it's exactly the same whichever whichever city you're in. But but um, yeah, once I got a group of friends um, uh, through work, then you know I then started going skiing in Austria and you know Italy and things like that. So very quickly within it within about six months, you started doing activities. And the and the beauty of it is it was so close. To everything. You, you know you you could literally you have for a weekend to Antwerp or to Paris or whatever, and suddenly there were, there were people 
people to do it with and you, know, you, you couldn't get away fast enough on Friday night mm. and come back on Monday, you know, you, you know, you, you'd have to phone people for money and you, you're exhausted and you're drunk. and you. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's, that's the thing in Australia. You, don't, you forget how far we are. Oh, yeah, here, so far here, we, we, we are so far. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Right. And I was probably one of the first people from Skane to actually even go over there because I, I know that, mm. you know, from that um, we had uh, – I ended up meeting my wife over there and we got married and I ended up staying for six, seven years. But oh, like, you were there for six, almost seven years? In yeah. Life. Yeah, no, we from 83 through to 88. Okay, so the uh, first part of your career was in London. Absolutely. Mm. For in, in terms of in banking, banking. it was – and it was actually um, – Citibank actually transferred me back here. Um, so I got a, I said I was running collections for all those cards um, and then um, put it in my hand. We, we had our first child over there, so our daughter was born over there. Um, and then uh, an opportunity came up to come over here and to um, work at Citibank here in, in Sydney and that's what I did and did that then for the next period of time. And, and over here I was running all the um, operations for lending, so for Australia and New Zealand for um, home lending, personal loans, um, auto credit, that, that type of thing. And so how did you end up getting the job at uh, St George? When I was at Citibank in, um, in, here in Sydney, I just happened to be one day, it was in 2000 I think it was, I was walking down the street and happened to run into a chap by the name of Luke Bunbury um, who was at St George Bank at the time and he had been in Treasury at Citibank and was on the same floor as what I was um, and we used to chat and whatever and he, he said, oh, Later on in Citibank, I'd, I'd started up margin lending. We were the third um, margin lending business in the country. And he said, he saw me in the street. He said, oh, God, he said, we've got this margin lending business in St. George. He said, it's an absolute debacle. He said, God, it needs you, need you there. And so from that conversation that then turned into getting that's an right. interview and all the rest of it and then and said, oh, would I come over and join them? And that's, and, and that's how I end up at St. George. And that's pretty crazy. Country boy used to sell pigs, not educated, no uni, ends up instead of a private bank. But what's it like running a private bank? What does that entail? You, are you dealing with, you're dealing with some seriously rich people, you're dealing with some, you know, what, what is it like? Yeah. Um, I, I think the, probably the biggest learning and uh, this is one of the issues I think with people that are in banks, a lot of bankers have only ever worked in a bank and have never been outside of it and have no experience. And a really good example of that is, is that when I was at, when I was at St George, we, we we went through this exercise of saying, who are the people that should be? Who are the people that should be within uh, within within the private bank? So they would go through and they would segment all the customers and all of Anyway, there was a, a lady, an elderly lady over here in the eastern suburbs of uh, Sydney. Um, she had about thirty five million sitting in deposit, um, and she wasn't in the private bank. So of course, all the powers to be were saying to me, "Oh, Andrew, go, you, go, sh- you, you, sh- you should be looking after her. She's the private bank client." And I said, "Well." I don't. My view was that people should be going into private bank because they actually need the service or wanted the service or whatever. Which is, which is what? What is the service to help uh, you grow your money? Yeah, but help you grow your money, or it, it, you know, it, it might be around the fact that you know you're you're, you're you know, currently got equity in your home and you're wanting to build out into further properties, or you know what? Now, so it can be done through either through debt or it can be through the investments. But but either way, but it, but it needs to be the fact that you've that you've got something that you need to be playing with. Um, and what are the advantages but, of someone being in oh, a private bank? You, you meet other clients out of the private bank. You have, you know, you, you run so it's lots good of, networking. Yeah, yeah. You, you run lots of functions for people um, in, in in these situations. So, um, and, the, and then from there, like if you're in an organisation like St George, like we would have um, do analyst briefings, and then we would have then ones that would be related around customers actually attending. So you'd have 
at the time Gail Kelly was the CEO, so Gail get up and do a big speech and you'd have like a thousand people at a, at a dinner somewhere. So you'd end up, you'd host a table and you'd bring nine of your private banking clients. So they would get the opportunity therefore of meeting the CEO of you know, mm. one of the one of the largest things, they would, the largest companies that, that's, that's listed. They get to know insights into St George. They get to then meet other people that are in the same – and you'd meet – it lots, actually it actually sounds like running cub. Maybe <laughs> 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 I should get in a bank. <laughs> well, and, and I would say private banking is probably there's there's a lot to do. A lot of it is around relationships. But if I go back to this lady though that had the the thirty five million, I said look before we just move her into private bank without asking her, would it be wise that I actually go out and meet her and extend an invitation? So I went out and I did, you know, introduced myself to her and all the, all the rest of it, and went to her house and she had you know a cup of tea and lovely china and all. Where, where all was it? Eastern suburbs. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she um, turned around and I said, look, you know, Andrew Black and I'm the head of the private bank and I've come out to see you that I've noticed that you've got a lot of money with the bank and clearly, you know, we're very appreciative of it and just wanted to extend an, an opportunity to you if you'd like to join the private bank. She turned around to me and she said, oh, and she put a hand on my arm and Andrew, oh, don't do that. She said, I like Mary in, in, the, in the Bondi branch. Every Thursday I go in and we go out and have a lamington and a cup of tea. And that was and, and it was a really good insight into that was the only reason that 35 million was sitting in, in St George Bay. <laughs> so, so she was so, having a lamington with the lady from the branch in Bondi. <laughs> so, 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 so you ne- should never, never get there and, and presume that someone wants that particular thing. And, 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 and I, again, of course I would do anything that she wanted, that she needed, but the fact was the reason she had her money was because of that. so I kept saying that 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 teller in in Bondo yeah. <laughs> in Bondo branch she you treat her with gold yes. yeah she's brought it a lot but also it shows you the power of having a relationship with your clients yes. and how how much that can impact their decision making in regards to staying with you or moving on or going better if, if they really like you they they Oh, they, you know, they're having a Lamington with you every week, and and they love and, that. And, and that. But see, that was part of the culture of St George Bank. You know, was originally was a building society. It still had that culture, but it was about knowing them. It was, it was member based. That lady would have been there from donkey's years. And what do you mean it was? Liter- uh, what do you mean it was originally a building society? So St George used to be a building society about down down in the uh, What is a building society? Well, just as in, as in, as opposed to having being being a bank like what we see them, that yeah. s- similar to well, as you know, I'm currently the non-executive director of Gateway Bank, which was a, also a credit union. So, credit unions, building societies, and banks are all in the same space, but they usually are looking after a particular group of people. So, if you look at St George, they were looking after just people in the St George area. So, they were a building society driven around being able to provide banking services just to people in that St. George uh, area. Okay. So, de- so, the head office was in Cogra. Okay. So, that's how it started. And then it got bigger and it expanded. Absolutely, absolutely right. It, 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 I think it bought, I mean, again, I, this is before my time, but I think it bought Advance Bank. And that then, when they merged that, that they, I think they then turned it into a bank as opposed to being a building society. Yeah. Okay. And what, what would you say some of the biggest lessons you learned from being the head of the private banker or even one of them? And that's probably one of the biggest ones. Is, yeah, just, I would say that is, 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 yeah. I mean, just, just making sure that you look after people they want to look after. The other thing, if you look on the other side of the people that actually had wealth, it was it was astounding how many people had oodles and oodles of money and were unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the other big insight that you really get, that, that money is not everything. And I, I can remember one client in particular. He, was, he had something like about eight houses and with that he had about 60-odd cars or whatever. And every time he got depressed, which was 
quite regularly. He'd go and buy another bloody Aston Martin or something, you know, so, some expensive car. So he needed all these garages and everything to be put in. And I said to him one day, I said, because he, he was complaining, so I've got to earn more money, I've got to earn more money. I said, why? I said, well, you know, it cost me $250,000 a year just for the gardeners for all the houses. And I said, how many do you live in? You know, what, what do you do with them? And, and, it, and he didn't live in them and he couldn't drive all the cars. And I said, like, gee, wouldn't you be far better to just simplify things and get it down and have the money invested in, in, in things that are actually that you, earning money? So, well, so, well, it's not, not that they – yeah, well, that as well. But, 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 to t- but to just to take away all that, 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 that feeling of this compunction to have to keep going to be able to fund all these things when, in fact, it was for no one's benefit. Mm. Um, so that, that's certainly I know that I, I became a financial planner at, at a later point um, in my own little firm after I was at all these places for a, for a couple of years and that was one of the things I know I always would drive people to is you know, what do you really want to do? You know, usually experiences are far better than having material things and the fact that you've got 60 cars or five houses or eight houses is really neither here nor there. You only live in one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a really interesting way of, saying, of thinking about it. And um, you mentioned mergers in St George. Obviously you've had a lot of experience with mergers and acquisitions, <coughs> divestments um, throughout your career. Yep. Um, I, I guess I have – do you want to bring up a couple that you've been involved yeah, in? Because yeah. then I'll, I'll have a few questions for you. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, so probably the most successful one in terms of an acquisition uh, was when I was at St George and I was running margin lending, we bought the Deutsche uh, margin lending business um, and specifically bought it for I wanted the systems. Um, we had dre- – I'd gone into St George, as you, I've already told you, I met that chap in the street, bingo, mm-hmm. ended up in there. Their system was in such a diabolical state that you could look at a client's – uh, details and look it up again an hours later nothing would have happened and the balance will have changed mm-hmm. so it was so unstable that you couldn't even be sure of what it was that you're looking at on the system so it was really really important to actually get a system that you could actually genuinely run marginally and marginal lending is very different to uh, uh, borrowing for a house or whatever because you if you, if you want to sell a house it takes time you know you're, you're talking about putting the market what, what, exchange of contracts you settle and it's usually six weeks apart when you're buying shares in the stock market, it's immediate. It's well, for, you, you're you're required to put the money up immediately, but you you have to settle three days later. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but there are very large fines for those of us that when, when you for those that are in the market. If you don't settle on time, then you get fined. So therefore, if you're if you're running a broking business or if you're having to settle into the market, then you are you've got ASX listing rules that, that, that make it extremely important that you actually are able to comply with that. So therefore getting systems that, that, that you can actually make work are really, really effective and you can get people in and have it all done before 10 o'clock in the morning to get all the trades from three days earlier through is absolutely critical. And, that's, and, and so therefore um, buying Deutscher and getting that system was, uh, was, was an absolute masterstroke. Um, and and the, was that your idea? or So well, I guess I have a few questions. When, when you are wanting to acquire – I know a lot of members acquire a lot yep. of businesses. Yes. A, a lot of people also get acquired. So yes. I guess – What's the what do you think about when acquiring a business? What are the reasons you can acquire? Obviously, it's for growth, but other than growth, there's also strategic assets another company may have. Like for example, you're saying that um, who did you buy? It was a Deutsche Marshall Lending. So, yeah, so, they so, had a great technology system, system that yep. you thought would be great for so, you guys, and so. You, um, and so that was the case in that particular one. So and, and again and it can vary. So I you know, at a later time we bought the HSBC margin lending book. Now, that was because all of their clients were really retail clients and therefore had come directly. Whereas 
the, all the clients that I currently had were through distribution channels, either through financial planners or, or um, stockbrokers. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it was about getting that diversity within the business. But certainly, the, the Deutsche business was a, was a really good example because you know you got people that were working for a large German global bank now being acquired by a little weenie, you know. Ex building society yeah. from 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 the southern suburbs of Sydney, um, so you can imagine that you know there were there were quite a few cultural issues um, that potentially were there, um, but again, like all these things, I, b- I believe a lot of it's to do with relationships. Um, I personally went in and actually interviewed every single person that was within that business, identified all the roles where there was a duplication, and there was a, there, there weren't very many, but there was you know, there were four or five jobs that were that were going to go interviewed the people that I already had working for me, made a decision as to who was going to be taking on the role and who wasn't informing them there and then that they weren't going to have a long-term job in the organisation but would love them to stick around for four months, six months, whatever would be required to actually get it put put together. And, 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 um, and I've got to say, that approach, and whilst you can't do it if it's a really big company, but, but in that case, you know, you're talking I had about 40 staff in both of them, so 80 staff altogether – the ability to actually go and meet every single one of them and do that and then more to the point was that of those people that we wanted to stay for four months but but would um but but wouldn't have long-term roles actually helped them get into other jobs so i would actually give them time off i would be a reference for them i did everything in my power and every single one of those people got a job um within the time frame that we required them to be there wow everyone left on a on a very good note and in fact and i still keep in touch with some of those four or five people that actually didn't work for me um even today um when, when we have reunions um and, and catch up with them but 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 again it's it's Said it's, it really is about relationships and actually trying to treat people the way you'd like to be treated yourself. Yeah, and I think that's a very, very good kind of blueprint you just laid out for anyone that does acquire a business that the boss really should come and meet every single person that's if, working in if, that if, business. If, 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 if it's capable of being done. Of course, yeah, yeah, but yeah, cup yeah. members at the, majority, at the majority aren't large corporations. Yes. At the majority they're purchasing businesses 20 to 150 staff. Yeah. They, they could do in, in those cases you would absolutely if, if I was sitting on the board of one of those I'd be absolutely trying to drive it to that type of outcome yes and, and by re, and really by going first uh, kind of going to the people that there's duplicates of and notifying them it alleviates the stress of the rest of the people because they're like okay well that's it. That's oh, yeah. done. If, if, if everyone knew who who had long, if, if they yeah. want to be there, they were absolutely welcome to stay. And and and, and the rest of it, they would be a bit entirely driven by their performance. But and, yes. and how did you align the two teams culturally? Because obviously, the two different companies and uh, whatnot would have different well, different uh, aspects and cultures. I'm, how do you bring yeah. them together? How do you merge that? Yeah, I actually um, got a um, consulting firm in, um, and we actually ran. Um, a session for both the existing staff and the new staff and put everyone together into teams and actually ran them through a program. So everyone went through exactly the same experience to try and make that the starting point for it. Um, and that actually worked, again, extremely well because it just, it just simply meant that everyone was actually learning something. Mm. Um, and, so, and don't forget that all the people that were already working with me were going to be learning a new system and had to put new processes on it. They had the benefit of you know, the, the people that were acquiring had the benefit of that, but now have we're coming into you know the, the, this more you know, whether you call it lovey dovey or you know versus, nice uh, versus but but certainly a, a way more community based um, type um, organisation. Certainly a far more caring environment. Yes. 
Yeah, so really each party had their benefit. One's benefit was we knew we know how to use the system. The other benefit was, well, we're us. Yep. You're coming to us. So yep. it's about identifying those and bringing them together. Yep. Yep. Really cool. And what's the process of when um, – so did you approach them to purchase or were they did they want to sell already? So yeah, when no. you are looking to acquire – are you going to companies that are aren't selling, or do you? Are they, you, you can do either. What's the process? In, yeah. in, in, in that particular case, um, Deutsche actually put the business on the market. Um, so as a result of that, um, we simply put our hands up as being one of the parties that went into the due diligence room to look at buying it. Um, but it can also be done the other way as well, whereby you could actually find that there's another business that would be attractive and actually lob a bid towards it. Um, and you can so so it could happen both ways. If you lob a bid that that hasn't put itself on the market then clearly you know, from a negotiation point of view you're probably not in a stronger position because they were never even thinking of it mm. before. So you're going to pay um, more. So you're probably going to pay more. And, and don't forget they haven't prepared, they haven't got stuff in a, in a due diligence room. So it's harder to do a due diligence and, and actually get, longer. Get, yeah, t- it, it does. It takes more money, cost, all the rest of it. So w- w- when an organisation decides they're going to get rid of a business or the whole business, at least then it's a it's, – it's a dedicated effort. Everyone's focused in the same way. But at the same time, when you do that, then you've got to do things about trying to engage all your staff because the, it, it makes it you know, extremely difficult for anyone in there not knowing what the future is going to look like. And, yeah. and, and if, like normal in normal things, the, the good people are the ones that can easily get other jobs and can swim and leave you. <laughs> so. And, and it, but I think it's cool to think about acquiring other organisations as – an alternative tool towards a lot of things, for example, like um, growth obviously is one of them, yep. but also growth into what you currently do, but also growth into new areas. For example, if Cub was going to purchase uh, another company, what would we have to do? We'd have to sit down, we'd have to think, okay, what's a new service that we believe we can offer that's complementary to our yep. current? Absolutely. Let's look for what's, what's out there currently that we believe aligns most closely to us, is the right size. It, and, and then let's approach them. Is that kind of how you go about it? Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you want to get alignment. But clearly you want to get alignment. If you had this conversation, let's say, with um, an executive out of West Farmers, they may have a very different approach mm-hmm. because they have a conglomerate of businesses and quite often uh, quite a few of them are not interrelated in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've got anything from mining and mining services right through to Bunnings and... You know, office works and all the rest of it. So, so they they so so you might get a very different view on it because of the, because of their structure. And, but but certainly in the ones that I've been involved in, um, what you described has been what I would go through. Is it's very much around getting alignment and and complementary skill sets, capabilities, or in in the one case for me was around getting an actual system. There was a, there was a very clear objective. But then you know, once you get the system, you got all the other stuff comes with it. Yeah. And you have had a lot of experience in both the corporate world and in in private business and, and mm. often larger private business. But I guess how does a company go from from non corporate to corporate? What's what's that? I guess what's the difference between the two? You've led both, yep. so what's the difference in leading a corporation um, as opposed to leading a, a private organization? So so first of all, if you if you're in a corporation, you are just a cog in a wheel. So if you if you look at when I was running the private bank marginal lending and direct shares, that used to make up six percent of the bank's profit. Mm-hmm. So you put that into perspective. So even though I was you know, throwing off 80, 90 million a year of profit, it's still only Jeez. it's 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 still only six percent of of the bigger beast. 
So you, so it's it's quite humbling in terms of having ha, keeping in perspective as to where you are in, in in the entirety of the thing. The other thing too is that is that large corporations have to reinvest in themselves every year. So they will allocate strategically. The board will determine. Say, look, we're going to put two hundred million dollars a year or whatever the amount is towards capital expenditure, and that can be either. Increasing, you know, making, making your systems better, getting more people in, changing programs, buying new systems, or it could be buying new businesses or, or complementary businesses. So, so within, when you're in a corporation, then it's about putting together business cases that make sure you get your part of that Money. pie of capital. When you're in a smaller business, and as I said, I ran Scandia and, and also Plan B, and they were much smaller. So you're, you're talking there of businesses that were, um, you know, market cap of you know between 35 and 50 million that type of thing and, and throwing throwing off about you know more like between five to ten million a year in, in terms of profit so much much smaller but the reality is that they've got far less capital to play with where you deploy that within within a, within a small organization is so much harder um, and then in if you take scander as an example because it was owned by a company that was listed in in London they could turn around and say sorry you get no capital all this year so even though you're small here, you're still part of a eighty thousand person workforce worldwide. Um, so you, so you so even though you're a country head, it's you know you, you only have four hundred people out of eighty thousand. Mm. Um, so you could still potentially be be in in the same trap. Plan B was a very different because it was Holus Bowles listed its own its own company um, here. Um, and again, when I very first started that, I put to the board the cost of actually replacing the system because again that was it, it needed a lot of investment in terms of system um, or you look at putting it on the market and they were really the only two um, options because and then the important thing though for me there was to make sure that the board made a decision so that you could line everyone up the right way so if if the board in that case it was it was going to be sold so therefore it was a matter therefore how do you get all the people on board with hey i won't have a job because on the CEO, so there's no, whoever buys you doesn't need two CEOs, mm. but every other job there's a very good chance that they'll need a fair few over here. So, so your your biggest objective is about doing the very best job that you can while you're here, so that you get noticed, so that when you do get acquired, and it, and I take people through the example that I gave with, with Deutsche, um, when I when I acquired that, when, I said, mm. when you're on the other side of the fence. You know, you, you're trying to find who are the people that have actually energetic, want to be involved, are learning, um, you know, haven't got the tail between the legs. And, you know, the, the, you get a lot of people that will bitch and moan at the water cooler and all the rest mm, of you it. You want to get rid of those ones. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Anyone who complains needs to go. Because they're poisonous. They poison oh, everyone else and everyone uh, else starts complaining. Uh, absolutely right. And absolutely. So really, in short, big corporations have tons of cash and the big battle of, of being a leader in a big organisation is getting uh, allocated get, your budget. Get, get, so get, you need to put – Good business cases for all, you're selling your business model. Really. Absolutely. Uh, uh, hey, this could be good. This could be big. Absolutely. The small organisations are. Oh, we need capital. We need yeah. to sell. Period. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So, so, so there. I mean, and, and I mean, uh, every business is the same in terms. You got to sell. You know, if, yep. if, if if you don't have revenue coming in, it, things will. But they, the big you, corporations you, you, have it coming correct. in. Is the difference? Yeah, that's right. You, you can't shrink to greatness. Yes. And so you can't yeah. shrink to greatness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely true. And when is it time? Would you say for a smaller organisation to get a board of directors to bring a board in? Um, first of all, it depends on where they want to go. So if you've got a small uh, privately owned you know, family-based business, 
the chances are high that if they don't have a desire to keep growing and, and don't want to expand or whatever, um, then it's probably very little point of having external board members yeah, on there. It would just be a cost. However, if they have larger ambitions than that, you've got to realise that everyone has capabilities that have, have limitations. So getting a board is about getting complementary skill sets that can actually help in terms of the strategy and, and it might even just be the network. Mm-hmm. Just simply getting a board member on that actually has the network that will put you in touch with all the distribution points that will allow you to get to the next level of where you want to go. So really, um, so a board is you, you, a, a good way to think about building a board is if it was me, for, which I'm doing at the moment. Yep. It would be okay. I need to find people that are much smarter than I am, and people with complementary skills to mine that I believe will work well for a couple. That's absolutely. How you, that's how you and, 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 you, and you want people. Yeah, you, know, you don't want people with egos. You, you know, you, you you want people that will actually contribute as a team. You mm. know, that type of. And I, I would say. I mean, a really good example in the market at the moment is that this uh, the young lady from uh, from what was it um, Expert Three Hundred and Sixty whatever yep. that's just joined the Telstra board now thirty two years of age. I mean, how good is that that they would. Take you know, because all boards at the moment, almost every single one of them needs some sort of technology capability being brought onto mm-hmm. them. And here they are. Here you are. You're talking about you know, a large group like Telstra actually taking, jumping that leap of faith to actually bring on someone like that, mm. and and are obviously now prepared to educate and grow and develop her in the other aspects. Yeah, she's of very board. young. Yeah, yeah. She is. She is very young, and she can't. You know, in terms of you know, audit and compliance and financials and risk and you know, all the other uh, things that that, that 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 have to happen from a board perspective to make sure that everything's running well, she can't possibly have experienced them all. So the fact that they've actually said that they'll take her under their wing and teach her those things for the expertise that she'll bring to that board at the very top level of that. I mean, I think I think it's a it's a it's a masterstroke. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And and so, really, if you're wanting to grow your business, you're at the level the business is profitable, it's doing good. You've got ambitions, you want to expand. A board is something you do before you start going. Absolutely, because it right. also gives you that support as you're growing yeah. for any issues that pop up. Absolutely, and 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 it's a really good. Way. I mean, it's it's almost like getting a mentoring, you know, your own mentors in, isn't it? Because you know yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll actually turn around and say, "Hey, look, that thing there, that won't work." This will, you know, go here first. You know, get it's 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 all those aspects around us because you you can't. They are like mentors, aren't they? <coughs> That's how they can Absolute, be used. Mm. Absolutely, they are. Absolutely. It, it, you know, the, the reality is is that they need to be adding value to it. It, it isn't a, it isn't about just simply getting people to sit there and twiddle their thumbs and say that they're on there. That you, they need to actually add value to the organisation. Otherwise, and, <laughs> and be relevant for that specific organisation and for that specific CEO. Yep. And speaking of mentors, you are a, a mentor to many. Um, well, I shouldn't say many, to, to a few lucky, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I do attempt to… You're a sought-after mentor I, no, by me. No, no, I, 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 I really like helping people. So therefore if, if, there's, if there's someone that, that has got the gumption to reach out and you know, extend a, you know, an, an arm of, you know, God, you give me a hand, I, I, I'm always delighted to do so. And I, I do. I mean I've, there's, a, there's a young… Um, financial advisor that's currently in Melbourne who is starting up his own business and I uh, do mentor him, him and, and it's you know you're just talking about it's really just for him to have someone to call up and say geez Andrew should I do this or should I not do that you know, mm-hmm. this week as an example he's looking at going on to a radio show down there as, a, as an expert in terms of financial planning yeah, he calls me. Should I do it? Should he do it? I said, Absolutely. And then he, he says, oh, sure. "Now they, they've come back and they, now they've come back and they want me to have five topics to talk to. What should I talk about?" So I said, "Oh, no, if I was you, I'd be topical." So I, I gave him the list of things. You know, so and it's it's not about 
he, he he's absolutely capable of doing it himself. But it, but it gives I think it just gives a, a degree of reassurance and and it ensures that he doesn't go into a selling mode. So you know, your your objective if you're getting on radio is about being an expert in bring something, ba- bring, being bringing value. value. Absolutely right. If, if, if people will then seek you out if they see that. They you, you don't need to get there and 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 be selling the name of your company or anything like that. So yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Whenever I'm looking for, if I'm making a big decision, I mean, I'm pretty well known to be making decisions independently and just going straight into it. But, but um, sometimes I've come across decisions where I, I ask, I ask, um, I guess, some of my mentors, but I'm not really asking them what to do. I'm kind of asking their opinion on what I am doing. Yeah. And it's kind of like if they say yes, it's like, okay, well, a bunch of other smart people saying yes, so I must be right, you know. Or if they say no, you're like, shit, maybe I should look yeah. more into right. this. Or, or even if it's something as simple as have you thought of this, it can, mm. it, it can often be yes. as, as simple as that. Um, and, and certainly, I mean, because this this particular individual is starting up a business, you know, revenue is a, is a key thing. So mm. I you know, work fairly hard to keep him fairly accountable to what's his pipeline and what's his, he needs to write a particular amount every month to be able to actually grow the grow the, the, the business to the stage that he'll need to if he, if, if he wants to be independent and all the rest of it. So, um, And what makes someone appealing to mentor them? Like what makes a mentee appealing? Because well, well, you, obviously you're not going to mentor everyone. Yeah. Well, f- first of all, it's someone that actually is prepared to actually reach out and ask for it. Yeah, that's the first uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, because because a lot of a lot of people get there and ex- just for some reason expect that somehow that someone's going to come and say, oh, gee, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hold your hand. And, and, and the reality is it just isn't going to happen. So if if someone already recognises that they need help and are prepared to ask for it, they're, they're probably a pretty good indication that they're someone that wants to, wants to go somewhere. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And if it's someone that's following a similar footpath to yours as well, whether it be the industry or the whatever, it makes it even yep. better because you've walked that path before. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, for, yeah, for that individual, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, but again, I, I've got examples of – I used to, when we were running the private bank, we were uh, a sponsor of the as, um, Israeli Chamber of Commerce. Israeli Chamber of Commerce used to run a mentor-mentee program there and I was a mentor on that. And we would get people that were completely outside of our industry. Mm-hmm. So, And a really good example of that was I had a young lady that um, had been put in on the exec team as a sustainability manager for Fujitsu. Um, as you can imagine, Fujitsu, Japanese, mm-hmm. um, sustainability. So really she was in title only and was trying to work out how does she become relevant? You yeah. know? How does she actually do the job she's told her title? The yeah. title says that she does, exactly yeah. right. Um, and, and again, you know, they, they're – it's – I mean, that's great then for both because you're, you're both learning. You know, in, in, in that case, well, say, well, have you done this, have you done that? You know, here's the way that I would approach it because, again, if you're in large organisations, quite often it's your approach to, to doing things that actually gets you heard. Um, you know, you, you can – So what's a good you, approach? Um, well, it dep- depends on the recipients, but if you if if you're talking in, in that particular situation where it's male dominated um, and sustainability would be simply about ticking a box, um, then it's about appe- appealing to what it is that turns them on. In, in that case, it'd be financial. Mm-hmm. So. Certainly, my advice to her was around: How do you turn that sustainability into a financial incentive, a profitable outcomes? Turn yourself into a profit center. You'll 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 become an absolute necessity to the place. Incredible, yeah, because there'd be so much future growth as well. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And do you have uh, before we wrap up? I just want to get maybe some 
of your best lessons or key quotes or uh, did you say you don't you don't read do you you said that? Um, so I do read but I, I no I read a lot of financial type things so therefore so therefore it's very current affair you know, mm-hmm. very, quite current so for me to get time to actually go and read a fictional book or you know something like that um, is very very rare mm-hmm. and on the occasions that I do do that I'm more likely to read something that will be a self improvement type to thing, the purpose which, yeah, yeah, exa- exactly exactly yeah, that's right. what I do I yeah. read things that are to the purpose if I need to learn something I'm reading that yeah. topic that's the only time I read and, and, and that's a, so that's that's why I'm saying so, so it's not as if I don't read I I read avidly but mm-hmm. but it, but it's not around the fact that you know some people say I've got my favorite author and you know. Mm-hmm. I, no, I like crime stories or whatever. Yeah. Jeez, I, no, I don't do that either. <laughs> I'm with you. If I wanted to like watch a story, have a story, I watch TV. Yeah. Or I'd make it myself. Yeah. Um, and and so I guess what's your favourite quote? Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of people that are in finance will will, will like Warren Buffett, and, and and I'm no exception to that. Um, and he has a, a great line about um, the fact that uh, you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> um, and uh, and, I, and I, I say that's fairly relevant, I think, for a lot of people. You, know, you, you get a lot of people in business that are you know, pretenders um, and it's not until you know, the, the rubber hits the road that you find out that they're actually you know, representing something else that actually isn't actually their idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, whether you're talking about you know, valuations, you know, buying shares, whatever. And I mean, he certainly does it in the investment uh, context. Um, but again, you know, you know a, a lot of his learnings are around exactly that. I mean, understand what the hell it is that you're actually investing in. What, you know, what, what's, what's the purpose of the business? Um, you, and yeah. and do you think the metaphor is that when the economy goes down, all the people, all the or you know, you, they, they die, they 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 go bankrupt. Is that the metaphor? Uh, like the tide or the, the economy goes? Uh, no, those uh, who had weak organisations, no, no. selling them strong, disappear. Uh, no, in fact, I think the actually, I think the contrary on that one. Um, at the moment, I think that we have so much government support that businesses that should, probably shouldn't be around are still around. Um, and usually recessions are a cleansing mechanism within the economy yeah. and we uh, seem to have done everything that we can to stop that cleansing process to take place. Mm-hmm. And we actually have, I believe, a lot of businesses that actually shouldn't be making the grade and it's exactly those that you wouldn't want to be invested in, which is what I think that's what it's getting at. Yeah, exactly. It's similar. Right. My, my dad used to say, everyone's rich until it's time to pay. <laughs> 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 and you can separate the ones that could and bad. Yeah, um, and, and exactly right. And what about... S- a greatest lesson or a key thought? Okay, well, I can certainly talk. Probably implementation is, is probably the key one because a lot of people will turn around and say to you, oh, we need to have a strategy. What's your strategy? And almost everyone will go to that and everyone wants to be a strategist. Mm-hmm. But the reality is is that you could you could sit there and all have the same strategy and, and I think the big four banks are a really good example of this. You try to tell me the differentiation between a Commonwealth Bank, Westpac, ANZ or, or, or National Australia Bank. You, be, you do well to tell the difference. The, the difference is actually in the execution capability and it's being able to build that capability. With it. And again, the Commonwealth Bank has done an exceptional job of that in the last you – know, ever since they've had Ian Nareb there, ever since they did that technology stuff in there, it's, it's given them a 10 to 15-year leapfrog above the others wow. as, 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 as a result of it. And, and it's, it's about execution capability as opposed to the physical strategy itself. And it's exactly the same as when you're employing people. I would always say get the right person first, then work on the strategy. Mm-hmm. Don't 
work on the strategy first and then say, oh, now I need someone here to fill this. You're getting, getting the right type and style of people. Yes, they've got to have complementary skill sets, but, but it's, it's about the people that have actually got the energy, the drive, the want, the desire, not, not, not the people that are you know, at the water cooler complaining about the fact, oh, shit, you know, yeah. freaking training. You don't want the complainers. <laughs> but no, what I, like the idea, I like the concept. Well, strategy is great, it's very important, but if you can't implement it, it's useless. It's absolutely useless. And that's what and, you're saying. And, and, you, and, you, and you, you'll see lots of businesses will have the same strategy, but some have been really successful and others have Because they had good impl- they had a good plan of execution. Exactly right. Yeah. Love that. And how long have you been a member of Cub for now? Um, I'm just on my second year in. Just started your second. We'll year. be starting my second year next month. I think um, my anniversary amazing. is just about coming up. Yes. Um, and I love. You know, we call it an anniversary as well <laughs> at, at Cub because it's, it's Cub's a business family. It makes it personal. But, but I guess what, what's the reason you joined in the first place? What were you? What was, what was uh, interesting to you? Yeah. Uh, well, probably for the fact that. Um, and what have you loved? Yeah, well, probably for the fact that um, I met Tom Redden, as you would be well yes. well well aware. My very good friend. Yeah, you're, you're a very good friend. Exactly right. Um, and I think that – so we initially clicked it, clicked it just simply for the fact that we both came from that country background. And and so he introduced me um, into Cub. I mean, it was, I knew, you're just talking normal, you know, LinkedIn connection, you know, got in touch. Like, so you're not you're not talking anything special around it. I never never knew the, the individual ever beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was – seemed like such a good opportunity around being able to build relationships or networking that was different to everything else. When you're, when you're in an industry, or, you know, if, if you're in financial services, you, know, you get a lots of functions and it's all the same people with the same people getting up and speaking all the rest of it. Here was an opportunity actually meeting people that are actually doing it themselves. Mm. And, and, and I mean, I've heard of businesses here that I've, didn't even think that they could even be a business. Oh, and, cool. <laughs> so it's just quite extraordinary. So you just get there and go, gee, you know what? There could really be some complementary capabilities here with someone with experience versus it. Because, I mean, you, you do have a fairly young um, membership yeah. bugs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm probably the oldest bugger in here. Definitely um, not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. But, 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 but we are quite a youthful. But, as far as leadership communities go, we are definitely quite modern. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's that energy and all the rest of it that, that, mm. that, you, that you really like. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I've met some you know, great people as, as a result of it. And I was, in fact, I was catching up with Ant only before I came here to see you today and saying, so, you know, it's amazing. You know, we, we had a get-together. <laughs> our last lot of core sessions were um, held, as you, as you know, uh, remotely through Did Zoom. You? Yeah. Anyway, we, we decided as a group that we would try and get together and at least all meet face-to-face as a result of it. So on the 17th of July we actually had um, eight of us that were supposed to be all getting together and, and, we, yeah. and, and we booked the Thai Rock restaurant for, um, for dinner. Oh, um, no, that's and the and one and that and had the COVID case. So, so, we, so we, we all nine days later got a, um, a text message from New South Wales Health to go and get tested and we had to isolate till the end of the week. Oh, how? <laughs> so as you're right for trying to isolate, <laughs> for trying to get together. To get together oh, exactly. poor members. Yeah. Members just love to catch up. Um, so, so, oh, that's so bad. But really, so Cub has given you a very um, – Diverse network. You wanted to meet people from all different industries, <laughs> people that own their businesses. Absolutely. They're growing great businesses, and they're they're broader than just your industry. Absolutely. And, I mean, and, and yeah, you, you can mention several people, and I I've got together now for cups of coffee with with, with several people within the, within the group, and even put a couple of people together, uh, saying, oh, you know, there's there's obviously synergies in there in the in their in what they're doing. But there's a whole heap of people too that you, you know, when you have have the core groups and you're meeting you know, ten or twelve other people, um, you know, usually you click. You, know, you try and click with one or two of those. You know, yes. you, you, it's, you're never you're never going to click with all of them, of course, but but yeah. it's a matter of just getting that. And in fact, and after this today, I'm actually meeting with one from the the last one from after your last call group. Absolutely Perfect. right. So you're a chair, aren't you? <laughs> and, and, and for the listeners who aren't members, 
Uh, our core groups are basically our major networking service. That's how, as a member, you grow your network uh, by 30 to 40 other accomplished leaders every every year. You're a core, you're a chairperson in your core. I'm, group, I'm right? chairing this one, yes. I love that. Yeah. Um, Andrew, thank you so much. Did you have fun? Oh, absolutely. Very good, very good. Thanks, uh, Daniel. Thank you. And to all the listeners, thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the show.